Great to see you guys here. We, we stepped into a series last week um, on uh, the book of Colossians. Glad to be uh, hitting it again. Very excited to walk through this book together. Uh, like many of you, I am not uh, 100%, and so there'll be a few coughs. Some of you already got a, mic, a mic'd cough a little earlier during worship. That was, in fact, me. I apologize. I, I, I did what I'm supposed to do, and in so doing, aimed it directly towards uh, the mic. Uh, like most of you, I don't bother telling people I'm not feeling well, because everybody's not feeling well right now. It's like, it's not a card to play right now. Everyone's like, yeah, me too, and my dog, and my, like, so I, I don't, I don't bother with that. Anyway, oh, this will sound nice. Thank you. We'll see how long that lasts. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to crack this, I'm going to crack this candy in my mouth. See how polite I was, though, I was just, I was going to take it. Um, so I'm a little hopped up on NyQuil. And uh, so I'm willing to take all your complaints from my sermon. That's Brad at, actually it's Brad spelled N-I-C at C-A Church. No, I'm not on NyQuil, don't worry about it. Anyway, we stepped into this series last week on the book of Colossians called Heavenly Architect. And what we want to get at is that our faith is actually built on something. And if we want to grow in Christ, if we want to grow in our faith, then we don't do so by hunkering down and really hoping for something uh, that we can build up ourselves, but we, we root ourselves deeper in the gospel. We abide more with Christ, and that, that is actually what sanctification is. That's how we, we build ourselves up. That is how we, we grow. In fact, we don't build ourselves up. We build ourselves into and allow ourselves to be built more into the person and work of Jesus Christ. If you want to grab your Bibles and turn to Colossians, uh, chapter 1, we are going to read from verses 3 through to 14. Are we, gonna, are we good to go? Yeah. We're all good? Okay, right on. Um, we're going to read through Colossians chapter 1, verses 3 through to 14. If you could stand out of respect for God's word. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can read off the screen here. We always pray for you. And we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all of God's people, which come from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. You have had this expectation ever since you first heard the truth of the good news. The same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It's bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives, just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. You learned about the good news from Epaphras, our beloved co-worker. He is Christ's faithful servant, and he is helping us on your behalf. He's told us about the love for others that the Holy Spirit has given you. So we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord, and your lives will produce every kind of fruit. All the while you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. We also pray that you will be strengthened with all his glorious power, so you will have all the endurance and patience you need. May you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father. He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son, who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. God of grace, I pray that you would speak to us this morning through your word. And as Paul, writing from a prison, 
to these believers he had never met, called out to them, have hope. Continue to believe, continue to pursue. I pray that that would be true for us this morning, that we would find great encouragement from these words that are almost 2,000 years old to live out the gospel here at Town Center in the Tri-Cities in 2019. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Paul starts this message by, by saying, we always pray for you. Paul was surrounded in prison, probably in Rome or Ephesus, by other believers. People like Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke. People like Timothy, who was a, a kind of a child in the faith, who was a pastor in Ephesus. A guy named Epaphras was visiting Paul. Epaphras apparently was the man who actually planted and started the church in Colossae, and he was actually visiting Paul and giving him this news. So when Paul says, we, we, always, uh, uh, we always pray for you, we give thanks, it's like, picture these guys in prison with Paul, and they've all got smiles on their faces. They're all pumped. While, while he's in prison, while he's being beaten and starved and living with rats, he's, you know, no Wi-Fi. I mean, it's just horrible. Horrible clothing, just ratty clothing. And, and he's surrounded by these guys, and they're celebrating. They're giving, they're, they're laughing. They're, they're full of joy because of the good news of this church in Colossae that is continuing to be a, a fruitful church. And so he's writing this letter as an encouragement to them. And what he wants to hit on in this, in this text that we're looking at, it's all about hope. It's all, in the midst of him being in prison, in the midst of Colossae, in, a, in, a, in, a, in an environment of persecution, in an environment of, of many gods and ideologies and all that kind of stuff, and, and pressure to, to conform to what the empire asks for, he's encouraging this church and saying, have hope, even in the midst of all of this. Vincent Donovan was a missionary to the Maasai in Tanzania, and he was, he was translating the Bible into the Maasai language. And when he came to the idea of faith and belief, the word he came up with, the, this elder of the Maasai, he said, this, that, the word's not good enough. He said, the word you want to use for faith, basically just, it, it's more like a white hunter than it is like an African lion, is, is what he said. He said, a, a white hunter... He, all, all he does is he sees and he pulls the trigger. He says, but, but faith is more like an African lion. I got a shot here. Look at the eyes of that lion. Now, my wife pointed out that that's a lioness, which I don't know why she felt it was important to tell me that, but I slept with one eye open. Um, just saying. He said, it's more like a lion. This is what he said. He said, for a man really to believe... To faith is like a lion going after its prey. His nose and his eyes and his ears, they pick up the prey. His legs give him the speed to catch it. All the power of his body is involved in the terrible death leap and single blow at the neck with the front paw, the blow that kills it. And as the animal goes down, the lion envelops it in his front legs, pulls it to himself, makes it part of himself, consumes it. This is the way a lion kills. This is what faith is. Quite colorful. An all-engulfing taking in of the faith, getting it inside yourself, letting it sustain you, consume it, let it build you up. Let it be what sustains you and, and strengthens you. It, it's not a, a faraway thing. Yeah, I agree with that. It's a tackle it and take it in. This kind of faith, Paul says, that it can only come from this hope of glory that Paul talks about. 
All, all these blessings that are caught up in the person and work of Jesus Christ. If you want to find that kind of hope, that kind of faith, you have to pursue Jesus and don't pursue him from a distance. It's not just a checklist of theological things, you know, do you agree? But will you completely take Christ into your being? He makes a few points about hope in this text. First, he says this. He says, our hope is the foundation of great faith and great love. This hope that we have in Jesus Christ, you want to love well, you want to have a great deep faith, you have to hope in Jesus Christ. That is the foundation of it. Which means that if you find your hope lacking, or, or if you find your hope lacking, you're going to find that your love for others and your faith is, is lacking. If we find our hope kind of disappearing, this, the, everything that we find in Jesus Christ, we're not nurturing that, we're not pursuing that, we're going to find our ability to love others, ourselves, our community, very difficult. We're going to, when, when different ide- ideologies come into our lives, we're going to find our faith difficult to grasp if we don't hone in on our hope. Martin Luther King Jr.'s dream was a divine dream because he looked beyond what was, what was just present. And he knew it wasn't just, whether it happened in his day or not, it was going to happen someday. Mother Teresa's humility was a divine humility because she was, she was looking for a justice that, as it is in heaven, may it be on earth as it is in heaven. She was pursuing something, a hope that was far beyond her, her capability to make happen. But that's where her ability to, to live this humble life and, and seek justice for people came from. William Wilberforce's desire, his, his fight to, to end slavery in England was a, was a divine fight. It was a divine calling based on a hope and a, and a desire to see the eternal reality of equality come true in his age. But he knew if he didn't, if he didn't make it happen, he knew that one day it was going to happen. He was just working towards glory. Our dreams, your dreams, my dreams, our dreams for, for town center campus are going to be far too small if they're just based on what we can pull off in this area. If we think it's all about just us in 2019 around Lafarge Lake, our dreams are far too small. Our hope is far too small. If we don't see ourselves as, as the church capital C, and, and in, in the words of, of Toby Mack, the church that has been on a roll for, 10, for 2,000 years or so, we got momentum, baby. <laughs> Word. It's like 15 years ago, but whatever. Cutting <laughs> edge, Pastor Brad. But our faith will be strong, our, our, our love for each other will be strong when our hope is placed in the gospel of Jesus Christ and the work that he has done as, and is continuing to do. That this is all going somewhere. That's, that's the hope that we place our lives in. Because I'll tell you, the truly hopeless cannot love well. People who, who have a, a deep sense of hopelessness cannot love well. There's, there's nothing left. There's no well to pull it out from. Love freely flows out of hope. The reason you and I are here is testimony to the fact that our hope brings unity and love for each other. I don't know whether you take the time to look around a church gathering very often and see like there's no other gathering in the world that gathers these kinds of people together. People who were born in different countries with different ethnicities, different, different economic situations, different uh, philosophies in a lot of ways. But we all gather, don't look around, like we all gather together and, and we find unity in the hope 
of Jesus Christ. Because we all know that this gathering here of differences, differences of opinion, different economical area, different, different age groups, all of that, we know that this is a microcosm of the hope that's coming. This is, the new, this is the new reality that's coming in because of Jesus Christ that will be a reality for the rest of the world when Christ returns. We're showing the world what the kingdom of God looks like when we gather like this and we worship with hope. Our hope is in the, the, the foundation of our, of our love and faith is found in this hope. Second thing Paul wants to make very clear, and he does this in, in the second half of verses 5 and 6, he says our hope has a source. Hope without a source is like, I don't know when, when you were younger, I still do it, if I'm honest, but you're driving towards a rainbow and you're like, oh, we're almost there, we're almost there, we're almost there. We, we missed it. We just went through a season where we use words like hope and joy and love and peace. And most people, if Christ is not the center, you get on the other side and you go, what happened? You walk right through them because love and peace and joy, they all have a source. They don't exist on their own. Jesus is the source of our hope. Hope has a source. Without it, we're just, we're just chasing rainbows. Paul says this in verses 5 and 6. He says, um, this joy, this, this gospel, this, this great life that you have, it, it comes from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. You have had this expectation ever since you first heard the truth of the good news. The same good news or gospel that came to you is going out all over the world. It's bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives, just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth of God's wonderful grace. And the source of this hope, he says, this good news, he clarifies that in verses 13 and 14. He says, this, so this is the good news. This is the gospel. He's rescued us from the kingdom of darkness, and he's transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased on the cross our freedom and forgave our sins. That is where our hope is anchored. Don't anchor it anywhere else. Because anywhere else, you will walk through it eventually. And you'll find there's no concreteness to it. Paul calls that the truth. That God took on human flesh, walked among us, gave up his life, bore the burden of our sins, and three days later, he rose gloriously from the dead. That is what Paul is proclaiming. And later in, in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, and if you don't believe me, there's 500 other people who saw him. It's not something he felt in his heart. It's not something the disciples just felt. Well, you know, if we, just, if we believe he's still alive in our hearts, then it's like he resurrected. It's not what Paul's talking about. He's talking about something that took place on the map, on the calendar. An actual fact that changes all facts. That changes all of history. This kind of truth brings hope. A lack of truth brings hopelessness. It is not a coincidence that in an age where we say there is no absolute truth, we are the most hopeless society ever. That in the West, where we are the richest, but simultaneously proclaim there is no absolute truth, we live in hopelessness. The highest level of depression and anxiety is in the same society that claims there's no truth. So how do we find hope in what seems like hopeless times? 
I love, he says, the truth of the gospel, which is being safely kept in heaven for us. I love that. It's, it's a safeguard against hopelessness. The fact that God is holding on to it, he's keeping it safe for us. But the very fact that Paul would proclaim something is true, the audacity, Paul, the audacity to read Paul in 2019 and say, and this is truth. How dare you, Paul? Say such a thing. American sociologist uh, Robert Wuthnow says this about truth. He says, spiritually, spirituality is no longer true or good because it meets absolute standards of truth or goodness, but because it helps me get along. I am the judge of its worth. If it helps me find a vacant parking space, I know I'm on the right track. If it leads me into the wilderness calling me to face dangers I would rather not deal with at all, then it is a form of spirituality I'm not, I'm not, I am unlikely to choose. But Paul says... There is a truth that is set in stone. And when you base your life on it, it brings hope. And if that's true, then we ought to listen to it. Jesus said the same thing in, in John 17, 17. He's praying to his Father in heaven, praying for his disciples, praying for the future church, praying for you and I. And he says, he says this to God. He says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. That's why elsewhere in Scripture it says that man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Because in that, we find true sustenance for our soul because it is true, eternal and unmoved. And it's nature that it is unmoved. And, and, and that's the very nature of what we mean when we say truth, is it not? That it is unmoved and unchangeable. Wade Clark Roof says this. He says, people do not approach truth objectively, but want to know what it can do for them and how it can do it more efficiently. A consumerist mentally allows each person to choose his or her particular brand of truth, just as he or she might choose a certain make of automobile or toothpaste, according to preferences and perceived needs. Each person then acts in accord with their own chosen standard. So in our culture, where truth shifts, it, it means something to say, no, there's an absolute truth that you ought to build your life on that brings hope that will not shift. And you got to remember, Paul's context is no different than our context today. With different idols, different gods, different ideology, different pressures from society to say, conform, pay the temple tax, live as we are living, dress as we are dressing, speak as we are speaking, give homage to the gods as we are giving homage to the gods. The only way to safeguard ourselves is to have a faith that is unwilling to settle for an acquaintance with Jesus, like a Western hunter with a gun. This is, I'm not anti-NRA, I'm just saying. But to have a, an intimate, all-consuming relationship with Jesus Christ. When Paul speaks of faith, it is the difference between saying, I agree, and saying, I'm all in. I'm laying my whole, the whole pressure, the whole weight of my life and my soul is falling on you. Uh, a couple years back, I used this example as well. There's a story of, of a guy called the Great Blondine. I think we have a picture of him. Now, you would think he was probably a model, but he wasn't. <laughs> Fashionista. Uh, those were some sweet shorts, though. I think he was probably a hip-hop dancer. Um, the Great Charles Blondine was actually a French... Um, uh, High, high wire, high wire walker. High wire? Tightrope. Tight Thanks, guys. Well, they're high. A tightrope walker. And what he was very famous for was actually walking the tightrope across Niagara Falls. And it got boring for him. Like, he, he did it with stilts. He did it uh, blindfolded. 
He actually went halfway once and made an omelet halfway over the falls. Um, one day he was walking over from the American side to the Canadian side with a wheelbarrow, and everyone was cheering for him. And he said, kind of like Gladiator, are you not entertained? And everyone cheered, you're the great Blondine, of course we're entertained. Can you believe what I can believe? You're amazing, you're amazing, you're the great Blondine. Do you believe that I can go back and, and carry several things in a wheelbarrow and, and be able to make it back and forth, no problem? Yes, of course, you're the great Blondine. Do you think I can carry a person in this wheelbarrow, blindfolded, across, and they'd be fine? Of course, of course. Who wants to be that person? <laughs> A cool breeze. Nobody wanted to be. Now, some people argue it's because he was threatening to take them back to the American side, but I don't know if that, I don't know if that was really the, the issue. Faith is not simple belief or agreement. It is a full-hearted throwing of oneself at Jesus. As the Messiah elder said, it, it pulls it to himself. It makes it part of himself. This is the way the lion kills. This is the way a man believes. This is what faith is, or it's what faith ought to be. Our hope has a source, our, and our hope increases, and our, our faith and love increases as we make our hope our own by being familiar with it, by, by taking it in and allowing it to, to animate our lives, animate our decisions, animate uh, how we are in our relationships, how we are in our work relationships, how we are parenting, how we are everywhere. Third thing Paul mentions is that our hope is alive. In, uh, in verse 6 here, he says, the same good news that came to you, Colossae, is going out all over the world. Now, he, he, of course, met the Mediterranean world at the time. It's going out all over the world. It's bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives, just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. The, the city of Colossae was not a large city. It was part of this, I mentioned last, last week, it was actually part of a tri-cities, Laodicea and Hierapolis, and they were both quite large cities. I, it's, there's irony in the name Colossae. What are the other words you think of that are similar? Colossus? Colossal, Colosseum, large, big, grand, Colossae. If you go there today, you'll find, you'll find pretty massive ruins of these other cities. Colossae, you'll just find a mound. There's not much there. So Paul's saying, listen, it can't be based on just what you accomplished in Colossae. There's something that God is doing all over the known world. Laodicea, Hierapolis, but all over the known world as well. The, the local church needs to see itself as part of the, the larger work of God, or it will lose hope. It will lose faith because there, there's hits that come to a local church. But Paul wants to get it out in, in verse 6 there. But he's not only doing a work in Euclid. You need to know that this good news is, is finding ground everywhere. In Perth, in India, in Nepal. And it continues to do so. That's the beauty of the gospel. When, 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 uh, when you shared the story of that man being able to walk again, Brian was sitting next to me. He said, he's still doing it. Love that. He's still doing it. He's still, he's still changing lives. He's still allowing the gospel to spread and bring light into dark areas. He's still doing it. Isn't that what you want to be a part of? Isn't that the hope that we want to be invested in here in the Tri-Cities and around the world? Isn't it? Yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> Just give me a second. Water. Uh, I've got a shot of here. This is a plant called kutsu. 
Kutsu is a, is a, is a shrub that, that came from Asia, and it was, it was brought over to, uh, to the southern states as, as just a nice little uh, bush. But today, it's known as the vine that ate the south. And I have a, a few pictures. Just let me walk through them. Don't go ahead of me, but let's go to the next one. This is what it looks like when kutsu gets out of hand. We see trees and bushes that are completely consumed by this plant which has a nice, uh, apparently it has like a nice grape smell to it. So it, and has a, this is a, a village in China, completely consumed by kutsu. I think my father-in-law would love to have this in his garden, I'm sure. Now, this actually made very many people happy because that's how they actually got rid of Barney, was they actually had him. <laughs> and apparently, what was the dinosaur in the Flintstones? I can't remember. Dino. Dino. <laughs> yes, Dino as well. Kutsu seems like, when you look at it, a small, insignificant, comes in a little package, you can get the little seeds. But it's growing up everywhere in the south, and they're having a hard time pulling it back. It spreads everywhere, and it's feeding animals, and it's making the air smell very nice. Uh, and as they found out in the south, it's unstoppable. A slow, unstoppable fruitfulness. Paul's saying to Colossae that this hope that has been planted in you, it, it, it's a hopeful hope. It's, it's growing not only in you, it's, it's, it's everywhere. And you might feel insignificant and, and separated from what's going on elsewhere, but you need to know that this gospel that you're associated with, this Jesus that you are associated with, he has a real hope, and it's spreading everywhere. Continue in the faith. Paul, writing from prison, is, is writing with joy and thankfulness that he could be in prison because he knows the growth that's going on with the gospel. God is being faithful, not only to you, Colossae, but to the whole known world. And the last thing Paul wants to point out here, my last point this morning, he says, is, is that our, this hope is unfading. It's unfading. He says, we also, you can go to the, the verses here. He says, we also pray that you will be strengthened with all his glorious power so you will have all the endurance and patience. Those are hopeful words. That something's coming. May you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father. He has enabled you to share in the inheritance, that's that something is coming, that belongs to his people who live in the light. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness, and he's transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son, who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. And we are reminded that this inheritance, it's, it's held, it's kept, it's protected, he says in verse 5, it's reserved for us in heaven. Nothing's taken this. Now, it's not like one of those car reservations where you go and they say, oh, I'm sorry, we don't have your car, but I reserved the car. Well, yeah, I'm sorry, but we don't have it. It's not like that. It's reserved in his name, in his name. It is kept for you. Thank goodness it is not about what you and I pull off. And how well you live everything out. How well we even live out our hope in Christ. But our, our future inheritance is based on the person, work of Jesus Christ. Oh, thank you, Jesus. 
It's part of what it means to be united in Christ, to have our faith in Christ. Paul is saying you have a future inheritance based on your union being in Christ so that as Christ sits redeemed next to God the Father, it's as if you are sitting in that position of respect next to God the Father because you are in union with Christ. And as God looks at Jesus Christ and his perfection and his holiness, if you are in union with Christ, if you are in Christ, then he looks at you and he sees a holy perfect, clean person. That's a good story. It's a story I want to be a part of. It's like, it's like the VIP pass. Maybe some of you have maybe had friends who, you know, maybe they make more money than you, and they got the season tickets, and they say, oh, I can't make it this weekend. I'm going to be in Vienna. And they say, and they say but I'll give you the tickets, and here's the parking pass. And, and you walk in, and you, right? It's like, if it's, some of you might remember this, this movie. This is a you know, this is important in my, in my build-up. And if you remember, if any of you have seen the movie, in the whole scene, they're just walking backstage going. <laughs> what are they saying? They're saying, I'm with this guy. Their names are not on that tag. If that just said Wayne and Garth, they wouldn't make it in. Right? Someone important, their name is on that name tag. You and I find our hope in the fact that our name is not on our name tag, that the name of Jesus Christ is on our VIP pass, and that all our hope is caught up in that pass that has been freely given to you and I. That is the hope that we have. The inheritance that waits you, the inheritance that waits myself, if we call ourselves one with Christ, if we've submitted to his reign in our lives, it is being kept safely for you and I in heaven, our eternal life, our relationship with Christ, and, and, and what is important to note as we, as we hold up this past, our name is not on it. That is important because anything else, ourself or anything else we try to build our life on will crumble. It will let us down. Your job, if you invest your life into it, will turn on you and consume you. Relationships, if you are trying to find your identity in your relationship, it will turn on you and it will consume you. But as we abide in Christ and he abides in us, we are given this beautiful inheritance saved up for us. As we look at history, we know many things will come and go. But our hope can cannot disintegrate. Our hope cannot disappear, but it, because it's caught where nobody can touch it. Many kingdoms, many names have come and gone throughout history, but the church continues to move forward, continues to grow. Two billion people on the planet are saying they are Christ followers. There are many people in Jesus' day who are making statements that their kingdoms would never end. People like Caesar and Herod who are building all sorts of great things that you probably can't name one of them. I, we've been doing homeschooling with my daughter and one of the things we do in grammar is we, we read over poetry. And uh, recently we came across uh, a poem called Ozymandias, which maybe some of you have heard of. It's called by Percy Shelley. And, and this, is, this is how it starts. It says this. It says, my name is Ozymandias, king of kings. Sound familiar? Look on my works, ye mighty, and despair. Now, who he was writing about was a poem that's based on Ramses II. And he wrote this when he saw this in the desert in Egypt. 
<laughs> look on my works in despair. And as you look around, this is how the poem continues. Other than that statement, nothing beside remains round the decay of that colossal wreck, boundless and bare, the lone and level sands stretch far away. After all of his boasting, after all of his great reign, what stretches forward? Nothing. It's all disintegrated. He paints a beautiful picture of the kingdoms of the world and the ways that we can associate ourselves with different things. To Colossae, Paul is saying, you may belong to a small town, you may be a small congregation, but you hope in something that surpasses it all. Let me say this. If you belong to Christ, you belong on the right side of history. If you, if you belong to Jesus, you are on the right side of history. It's proven to be the case so far, and it will continue to be the case. It doesn't matter how small or insignificant you may feel, how, how persecuted you may feel. Persecution has been there since the beginning of the church, and it's going to go on. But, oh man, to be able to travel back 2,000 years ago to the church in Colossae and say, I know what it feels like right now. I know what it feels like right now. But one day, people are not going to be able to look at a map of the world and not point out that Jesus has had a massive effect on everything. One day, there are going to be hospitals and colleges and, and education, and they're all going to point back to the fact that we believed everybody ought to be educated and people ought to be helped, that, that people ought to be fed, that people ought to be healed. That's going to come because Jesus brought that in. Before Jesus, children, women, nobody cared about them. They were property. It was Jesus' love. It was the equality that the gospel brought in that brought in equality for children. It used to be that children were dumped on the dump heap by the Greeks when they weren't wanted in the family. And it was Christians who would go on the weekends and pick up children out of the dump heap and bring them home as orphans and bring them up in the church. Forgiveness was invented by Jesus in the public realm. Humility was a negative word until Paul used it in Philippians chapter 2, to be humble like Jesus Christ. It was an insult until Jesus. Our very calendars are divided up by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The idea of a God who loved did not come from Baal or Zeus. That is a Christian, a Judeo-Christian idea. Jesus brought a new way of thinking about God and love. Martin Luther's dream, Mother Teresa's divine humility, Wilberforce's search through compassion for justice, those were not secular movements. Those were expressions of love that come from a faith based on hope that the world cannot destroy that is reserved for you and I in heaven. And the boasts of ancient kings and emperors are in the dust. But if you are in Christ, you are on the right side of history. As one writer states, today we give our children names like Peter, Paul, and Mary, and we give our dogs names like Caesar and Nero. <laughs> Paul gives thanks that the church is growing and it's sustained by something more than itself. Are you being sustained by something more than yourself? by more than what you can pull off day to day? Aren't you, do you find joy in the fact that your salvation, your right standing with God is not caught up in how good your day went, on how well you pulled it off today? But that you can hold up your VIP pass in front of God the Father and with confidence say, I'm with him. That's 
That's the sustaining hope that Paul wants the Colossians to be aware of, a hope that, that, that's formed the outlook of Paul, it's formed the, formed the outlook of the church in Colossae, and all those who find themselves united to Christ. And it, it continues to be the hope that transforms lives and families and churches and, and communities and civilizations. It continues to do it. A ferocious faith of unfading hope. It, it, it catches it in its eyes. It chases it. It embraces it. It devours it. It internalizes the gospel so that our hope is within us and it animates us to good works and a living faith and an active love based not just on what we can pull off, but based on a hope that is far beyond anything we can pull, on, pull off on our, on our own. One of, the, one of the things that is so important when it comes to this hope is to press pause on our lives. And many of you have done this when you go camping and there's no lights around and you look up at the sky and you see all the stars. And you're like, well, where where'd all the stars come from? Well, when the city lights aren't fighting for your attention, you realize the stars are always there. One of the ways that we reflect on the hope that we have in Jesus Christ and remind ourselves of it over and over and over is through the act of communion, which we're going to do now. When we take communion, we are proclaiming this very hope. We're proclaiming this very hope. It's impossible to take communion and, and not recall the beautiful news of the gospel. Because when we take bread, we're going, we're going to reflect on it the same way that Jesus told us to. He said, whenever you take bread, I want you to remember that that bread is my body, that, that my body was freely given for you as a sacrifice for your sins. And when you take the cup, I want you to remember that my, it, it represents my blood that was spilled freely for you. I gave my whole life for you so that you wouldn't have to live a life of, of thinking, am I okay with God today? I did, I did some good stuff today, or I really messed up today, so I better make up for it tomorrow. To free us from that kind of life, to free us from running after a life of trying to gain an identity by who we associate with, whether it be politically or any other way, but to give us a life that is firmly founded, engulfed in, and abiding in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So if you are a Christian, I'm going to ask those who are serving today to come, on, come forward. If you are a Christian, you're welcome to take part in communion today because it's an outward expression of something that's already gone on in your life and that's continuing to go on. The beautiful thing about communion is that we're, we're not only remembering what Christ did, we're also looking forward to what he's going to do. But as we eat it, we're remembering that he is here with us now, with his church, continuing to nourish us. So as we eat, may we remember that it is Christ who is at work in us to animate our lives of faith and love and hope. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to, I'm going to have the, the band's going to be leading us in worship. And how we do it here is we'll come down this side, your left. Um, you can tear off the bread and dip it in the cup. Um, if there's space, just make your way right past these two. They won't be insulted. Just go right past them and make your way over here. And we also have some, some uh, rice crackers here if you are gluten-free or whatever else free that you need to be to use those. Let me pray, and then we'll respond in worship through communion. God of grace. Oh, what a relief it is. What a relief to know that our hope is caught up in you. 
what a relief it is that, to know that we can press stop on the treadmill and just step off and be relieved that it's not about what we can accomplish. And so God, as I prayed earlier this morning, if, if we come in with pride and haughtiness, I pray that the good news of the gospel would humble us. That we would, we would understand that it's not about what we can pull off. It's not about how we are perceived in the eyes of those around us. What matters is where do we land on the truth of the gospel and will we submit to the truth of the gospel. And God, if we come in, and we come in low this morning, we come in broken and hurt, we come in with skeletons in the closet, and we say, I cannot be loved because of that. Remind us of the truth of the gospel. Remind us the truth that you are a God who waits for us with open arms on the other side of repentance that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That as the psalmist says, you take our sins and you throw them as far away as the east is from the west. That if we come to you and we ask for forgiveness, if we ask for right standing and submit to you, it is as if our sins are absorbed at the cross through your body. We find our hope solely in you. And if we have been finding it elsewhere, we confess that to you. We reorient ourselves. Jesus, may we embrace you fully. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.